Welcome to the Cycling Central Podcast. I'm Philip Gomes, and joining me today at the tables are Anthony Tan, as usual. Hello, Phil. How are you doing? We have no Rob Arnold. Apparently, he's uh, busy, busy putting a magazine to bed, which will be good, actually. But we do have... Me. <laughs> That's right. We have you, Kath Bicknell's here. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Kath, uh, really, it's a bit more of a... You're an all-rounder, but really, if you have more of a mountain bike focus than anything else. But she also writes really good stuff for us. Thanks, and she's, she's working on the Giro as well. So, bleary-eyed. Bleary-eyed. I've been doing the morning shifts, so my job is to sleep through the live coverage and put things up for people to read over breakfast. <laughs> if it all works. If it works. Yeah, this morning's been an adventure. Um, what's happening with you, Anthony? Um, you, you actually sent me a, I'm, I'm kind of alarmed. I think you're making too much money. You actually sent me a, a text the other morning saying that I should come for dumplings at a Michelin star dumpling place in Chatsworth. Oh yes. Well, it's the only one. <laughs> I, I, I was just going to shout, you know, disindifference to your, uh, your maker, your, your mum. Oh, my mum. Yeah, that's yes. right. For, th- for those who don't know, I've been busy in the past week because I've had family visiting from, uh, from overseas. So, you know, but it was an intriguing idea. I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to understand, to be able to taste the difference between a Michelin star dumpling and one of my favorites in, in Ashfield. It's pretty close. I mean, but, you know, it depends whether you're a, you know, a, a Shaolong Bao connoisseur. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we can go, we can go to Jesuit after this. We're not too far away. Uh, that's right. Dumpling cast. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Dump, oh, that would be awesome. Dump cast. Dump, dump cast. <laughs> no, that could be, we could be talking about something else there. Uh, well, no, that's right. That's, that's, that's for our German audience. Um, Anyway, uh, Doomcast. Uh, let's, oh, Jesus. Let's back the truck up a little bit. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're now, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get on with the discussion um, and we'll talk about what we came here to actually talk about, which was the Giro. No dumplings. No dumplings. Uh, which was the Giro and, uh, uh, and the Amgen Tour of California and maybe the odd detour into dumpling country. Um, we should uh, we should probably just roll uh, the transition. Well, we're now into the second week of the Giro, and obviously, uh, if you've been watching uh, four stages into the Amgen Tour of California, which is always kind of like a an interesting uh, counterpoint uh, to the Giro, you're getting two different types of racing, and it's always interesting to watch that contrast. Um, but we'll start with the Giro, which is, uh, the GC race so far, which I think not much has happened. It's kind of there, but what, what do you reckon, Anthony? Yeah, I don't think we've, uh, really, it's, it's hard to say whether you, the race has actually started. I don't know whether the, the GC has sort of taken shape, but you wouldn't say it's definitive by any means. So we've had guys pull out, such as Dumoulin. We've had Lander pull out two days ago. Um, but the guys who I thought would be, aside from Lander, the guys who I thought would be fighting for the podium, they're, they're still there. I mean, any one of Nibali, Valverde... Um, you know, Croyswick, you know, for me, he's a dark horse. Chavez, there's four or five guys who I think could still win this race overall. So, I mean, it's it's quite a slow build-up because we still haven't had 
a major mountain stage yet. We've just had these medium mountain stages. We had that hilltop finish to Rocarasso. Uh, so, you know, it's quite a slow build-up for the Giro. That's unusual because in other years um, they, they've thrown in a, a doozy in the first week, which has really shaken up the GC. I mean, last year at this point, Contador was leading and it didn't look like he was going to relinquish the Malia Rosa. So uh, this year is quite different. Just to um, uh, just to, to update on the GC, we have uh, Bob Youngles from uh, Ethics Quick Step leading. An amazing talent, right? Not a great rider, but he's not really a guy who's going to win a Grand Tour, um, as far as we know not, at this not, stage. Not this year, but when he was a, um, an amateur, he, he won everything from hilly uh, stage races in Italy to the under-23 Paris-Roubaix. Mm. So, so we, we really don't know what no. kind of a rider he's going, to, he's going to be in a few years. I think he's so. still discovering too. You know, the way he fought for the pink jersey last night all the way to the finish mm. line, it's exciting. And he was surprised yeah. by what that jersey does. Yeah. He speaks so well too. I mean, far out. I mean, <laughs> maybe OGE... Some of those guys could learn from a, a non-English guy from a non-English speaking background. Uh, it was quite impressive, um, just the way he articulated his thoughts as to why he decided to go on the attack. Because, and it, it seemed obvious when he said it, because uh, his Etics Quickstep teammates weren't there because of a crash with about forty kilometres to go, and then he said, "Well, it was safest for him to be at the front." Uh, off the front, yeah, uh, and then he had guys who really wanted to gain time in Amador, um, Valverde, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and actually, which which brings us to to, to Andre Amador, Valverde, Kreuzweg, Nibali. Um, behind Youngles is Amador at twenty four seconds. Valverde, uh, Amador's teammate, at one oh seven. Kreuzweg on same time with uh, Valverde. Nibali at one oh nine. Micah at two oh one. Zacharin at 2.25 and Chavez 2.43, Brambilla 2.45 and Ulysses at 2.47. Of other note, really, it would be, I guess, the only other guy, rider of note in terms of a GC would be Rigoberto Uran, who's at 3.12, right? So, you know, it's it's still open. But, I mean, looking at at Movie Star, they're in a a box seat. Yeah, I mean, speaking about Uran, he had the kind of the worst time trial ever <laughs> uh you know on a almost carbon copy time trial at the giro two years ago is when he took the malia rosa he, he won the time trial um it was 41 kilometers this one was 40 and a half so what's the difference i mean there was a very similar profile so for him to lose a couple of minutes there didn't bode well i, I thought yeah he was in with a shot of at least the podium because he's finished twice before uh, so Iran is now he needs to do what Chavez, he needs to be able to follow guys like Chavez. I don't know whether he can do that. Chavez for me looks so dangerous. He's, <laughs> he's just kind of um, cruising. Yeah, he's just cruising. Yeah. I feel like for a lot of the favourites so far, it's a game of slow and steady wins the race. Mm. We haven't seen them really light up and really show what they're going to do, but they haven't had to yet either. No, only Valverde on that. Stage to Arezzo. Um, there, you know, then we saw actually Chavez and 
Nibali and Kreuzweg were the only guys who could go with Valverde's acceleration and then there was a, a slightly large, larger group on a very steep climb, uh, the Alpe de Polti. So it's really, um, we, we still just haven't got that really big mountain stage, that really big hit out which will um, perhaps reduce the number of contenders to maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um there's some question, I know some people have been looking at the GC and looking at Amador and looking at uh, Valverde and saying, well, who's the real leader on this team right now? Um, but really, it would still have to be Alejandro. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things. We like to have this one leader and tactically we like to know that there's, there's fighting for one leader, but we're seeing people go out with injury and we're seeing plans change. I think it's kind of smart to keep people in the dark and have the option for this two-pronged attack. You know, there was a lot of criticism last night because it wasn't clear who was the leader and Nibali was pretty upset about that, but I I think it's great. I think it's more realistic Mm. in a way. Do you mean Valverde was upset or...? Nibali was upset because Valverde wasn't working with him because he's waiting for Amador to catch up. Yeah, I mean, no, if Amador's up the road, then he doesn't have to do anything. But, yeah, I mean, I've I've sort of struggled with whether a one- or two-leader strategy works. I think if the two guys get along, which appears to be the case with, say, TJ Van Garder and Richie Port so far, it works. Two leaders doesn't work when you've got, say, a Wiggins and a Froome. Mm. Um, Amador and Valverde, that seems to be okay. Um, I think Nibley's maybe a bit pissed because, you know, he's they've got two cards to play. And then you've seen what happens when you've got a one-leader strategy, say, with Sky, with Lando, it pulls out, you know, they're mm-hmm. kind of they're headless. Um, so... But just on that, I mean, Sky, okay, so now it's been three out of the last four years or maybe three out of the last three years where they've had a leader either go into the Giro and pull out or pull out even before. So we had Wiggins, he won the Tour de France in 2012, 2013 he went for the Giro, um, he, you know, he descended quite poorly and then he lost his nerves and then he fell sick and then he pulled out. Uh, Richie Port didn't make it to the start one year or two years. Uh, or actually, no, he was he was leading and then he pulled out uh, last... And then last time... Last year was um, just a mess. Everything yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wheel change, time penalty. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. then the pressure just mounted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, is is it okay? Well, just focusing on Sky just for a moment. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, Landa Landa came into this race as as, as a big favorite uh, to win. He was going to be right up there with Valverde and and, and Nibali as as that was going to be your likely podium. Um, so he's handed he's handed that mantle first up. He's got a team around him that's that's really designed to deliver him to the finish, and he actually looked pretty good in the time trial. He had a really good time trial, so he looked strong. But uh, mm. then it just didn't happen. And what's happened? Is he sick? Is yeah, he, he got, out with the allegedly got sick, yeah. 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 I mean, Robbie McEwen made a good point during the commentary. He just said, look, he was he was going in with too good a form. You know, he I think he fell sick over the European winter and then he was training the house down. Then he uh, – Sky just seemed to uh, put guys on very high workloads. And so if anything other than the race that they're going for, they don't taper before that race. So they go in there almost overdone. So, and it seems to work, you know, in the year that Wiggins won the Tour de France and work the year that Froome won the Tour de France for the first time. But I think Froome is a unique 
animal, you know, he can handle a very high workload. Mm-hmm. And some of these other guys, Lander is new to the team. He was riding for Astana um, previously. And so perhaps, yeah, that that way of racing, you know, okay, he was doing so well, uh, one Basque Country, one Giro del Trentino, and then he comes into the uh, the Giro d'Italia, and he looks, he looks too good mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah, and and we all know these guys that you know they have knife edge of form, and it's it's uh, it's one of those things where, you know, last week you're you're on point, and then the week after it's like all of a sudden you're just a step behind. It's such a battle too to maintain that form and mm. and not become immune compromised. Mm. <laughs> yeah. well, I think that's it. You got to go in there, not fat, but uh, like maybe one or two kilos overweight because of these. I mean, they've had pretty, it hasn't been extreme weather conditions, but they've had quite a variance of weather conditions. And I think these sorts of things when they're running on that knife edge and, you know, then that that time trial done in the rain, uh, Lander did very well, but, you know, it's he, clearly his immune system was down after going that deep uh, and then he becomes susceptible to illness. I think something else we're seeing is in the tour, you see people racing through illness and racing through very serious injury. And sometimes you see it in the Giro too when there's a lot at stake. But I feel like we're seeing riders say, you know what, it's I'm not going to put everything on the line for this race. Mm. Right now I'm sick, I'm going to call it and I've got the rest of the season ahead. And it's kind of refreshing to see people pull out with illness rather than set this example for other riders that you can ride with bronchitis for two weeks and be okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I like I think the teams now manage uh, manage the riders because the riders are, are worth so much, especially if you've got a marquee rider, mm-hmm. where they're thinking, well, yeah, they just they play the odds and they go, well, obviously he's not going to be good for this. He's going to struggle through. He'll just be behind. Maybe what we do is we pull him out and then we save him for the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Or as happening in this, or in the case of maybe Landa, um, they're now going to recalibrate and just say, well, the, the Vuelta is, is going to be his race. Yeah, I feel like for the teams, you know, we often talk about women's cycling growing in publicity, but I'm, I think with, with men's cycling, we're seeing all these other races get so much more exposure now too. And riders are kind of constantly on social media communicating with audiences. I think you don't have to just perform in these, you know, couple of big events to kind of keep that budget and keep that thing going for hmm. the year. And I think, I think hmm. there's something in that too. Yeah. The other, um, the other uh, rider of consequence that pulled out, um, and it just happened last night, as a matter of fact, was um, Tom Dumoulin uh, from Giant Alpecin. And there were a lot of hopes about Dumoulin uh, heading in, but there were also a lot of question marks. So, you know, he performed exceptionally well at the, um, at the Vuelta España last year, and everybody thought, well, you know, he's going to do the same in, in just about every Grand Tour, but, you know, he's, he's, he's got a focus of the, the Olympic Games uh, time trial, and his focus for uh, the Giro d'Italia was the was the opening time trial as well, which you know obviously put him in pink. So, but there also seemed to be a case where early on in that week when he had the pink jersey, it seemed like they were prepared to maybe look at a GC option for him at the Giro. But really, that kind of went against what he had planned for his entire season. I mean, what, what did you think about that whole Dumoulin thing? Yeah, I mean, I'm just glad I wasn't there because I mean, they the reporters were asking him the same bloody question every single day are you going for gc he goes no i haven't done the altitude training but as you said phil when you inherit the leader's jersey then you're obligated to defend it and that's what happened and so those as i said the opening week and a half the giro up until the time trial was relatively 
easy from a you know no major mountain stages no big shake up and then the 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 first mountain stage mountain top finish uh, really suited him it wasn't a steep climb and naturally he did quite well then it put him further into the lead and then he was had you know then he was forced to defend more time I mean he was forced to kind of keep it for longer so really I think his objective was Yes, it was the opening time trial, but was, I think it was more that second time trial. I mean, because that will be closer to what he'll um, come, you know, have to ride at the Olympic Games. So I almost feel it sounds weird, but I almost feel like the Giro was a bit of a failure for him because he um, he he was he was forced to defend something he really didn't want yeah. to defend. Yeah. And I think um, this is the problem with uh, with Grand Tours is when you do win a, uh, when you are in a leader's jersey, it's it's you're you're just expected to to act above and beyond beyond what you would normally. It's want funny, to. like every rider has this this plan that they want to execute over you know the three weeks of these things, and the plan is usually you know winning. <laughs> His plan was winning two stages, and suddenly he's you've got to step up to the bigger plan, and yeah. and credit to him, he didn't quite buy into that hype he he kept trying to hold back a little bit but got conflicted and then your energy goes on the fritz and and we saw that with uh, bob youngles uh, last night and he talked about that it's just you know you pull on the jersey and, and there's an expectation mm. so you race to that expectation mm. so that's interesting um last night uh, just so you know uh, one rider who has hit all his uh, smashes kpis for the giro d'italia is diego diego ulissi mm. um perfect stage for him punchy punchy rider um, they're really, it, he's exactly the kind of rider you would expect that will win this type of stage. So he's now knocked off, uh, two stages at the Giro. So yeah, he's I, good to go. I, I think, uh, Ulysses, um, I think, uh, people say, oh, he's kind of like a Gerens or Matthews, but not really because Gerens and Matthews, they follow Ulysses attacks. Yeah. You know, he, he, he makes the moves. Uh, and I think it's that real parochial audience that naturally we have who say oh yeah that's but that's someone that Matthews I I believe should aspire to be because he made a point after Armstrong he says why do I always have to just wait for the selection and the sprint maybe I should just I'm going to have a talk with my coach he said afterwards I I might just go for it Uh, on the Cowberg he's referring to the Armstrong goal race so I don't think I think he could become uh, Ulisi type of rider, but uh, he doesn't look like a puncher, does he? Ulisi is very slight. Yeah, um, he's not like a you know. I guess the typical puncher mold is a Philippe Gilbert, right? A lot more solid, but the, Sagan. Power, Sagan. the power comes from somewhere. Yes, hmm. Sagan, and so I think, uh, and then he's got this sprint at the end, so he's 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 perfectly suited to hmm. being a stage winner. Which is a good transition into the Tour of California, right? So, but we, we should uh, we should talk about that because this is this is running concurrent, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's a it's a nice counterpoint. Um, but that so far at ATOC, we've seen Sagan take two out of the four stages, um, and Ethics Ethics Quick Step again also in the lead in, in GC. Um, what your thoughts about? ATOC and its positioning with the Giro and what it delivers as a race. 
I've only covered the race once and I just wanted to go to get some sun, really. <laughs> I, mean, I wasn't really, I mean, I was, I guess I was sort of there for the, I mean, just wanted, really, I wanted to experience it through California. There's so much hype about it. America's biggest stage race. I wanted to see, okay, what's the big deal? And typically you have these um, American commentators who everything's like, you know, America, F, yeah, this and that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean... Team police commentary. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't really expect anything <laughs> less or more. Uh, so... Uh, what was I, the atmosphere like just for the spectators and just around the race? Yeah. Oh, they 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 do it well, but it's a different type of spectator. You know, they, in, you know, the spectators for the Giro, they're really into cycling, and perhaps uh, the spectators at California, they're into it, but they're also into really goofing around and having. It's maybe they're in that way they're um, they're there for Inter- experience or something <laughs> like that. Not whereas. Uh, you know the Tafalsi, the Italian fans, cycling fans. They they're just nutty about cycling. Mm. They they really love cycling. And maybe you see some of these nutters uh, that tour California dress up. You know they got moose heads on and things like the pulp. that. Pulp. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that. It's kind of like slapstick stuff. Mm. Um, but I don't want to speak for all the fans. I, I just feel. Uh, Sagan going along, of course he's going to win stages. He's, he's so fast and he's up, you know, Greipel, Kittel is not there. Um, you know, he doesn't have the cream. So it's it's kind of like an ego-boosting thing for him and I think Sagan's got quite a large one. <laughs> ego, that is. Yeah. be hard not to, though, wouldn't it, with the whole world telling you how great you oh, are awesome. every time you put out a tweet or... I guess yeah, he's he's a great bike rider. Is he a good uh, ambassador? You know, say you know our host, uh, TV host Mike Tomalaris believes he is. He can't do any wrong. You know, he does that thing with his his missus with that grease lightning thing. It goes berserk on social. Uh, I I don't know. I, I think for me, I get more out of someone like Bob Jungle's talking. It sounds weird, but I I, I feel. <laughs> What what he said, he had so much more to offer in the way he he can say things. Whereas Sagan is like this guy. Okay, he's got this long hair. He look is he's almost um in that Mario Cipollini esque mold. I think that's great. I think he's he's an entertainer. Yeah, and he's injected entertainment back into what it means to be a cyclist. And I think it's it's really refreshing the way that people are engaging with the sport. It's not so serious at all the one percenters and and people are really responding to that and i think it's a good thing for cycling the um the gc right now as it stands at the uh, at the tour of california is uh, julian alaphilippe uh, ethics quickstep peter stetner trek uh, segafredo george bennett lotto yumbo nl or lotto nl yumbo mm-hmm. brent bookwalter uh nielsen paulus which to be quite honest i know absolutely nothing about uh, but I did see him today. Uh, Lawrence Tendam, who we all know about, and Rowan Dennis from Australia, uh, who's a minute back, by the way, uh, from the lead uh, with a very good time trial to come. Um, he's in seventh place. Sammy Sanchez from BMC, eighth. Uh, Rob Britton uh, from Rally Cycling, uh, ninth. And uh, good old Heimar Zabeldia, 
right? Sitting in 10th place from uh, Trek Segafredo. I'm looking at that, and then there's also Andrew Talansky and, and stuff like that, but I'm looking at um, Rowan Dennis sitting at a minute back and thinking about that time trial and realistically looking at the riders in front of him and those behind him, I can't see anyone else winning this race behind, beside Rowan Dennis. I know people are talking yeah. about Peter Sagan winning the race. Can he hold on? Mm-mm. That's the question, isn't it? Can Fa- Alaphilippe. Yeah. Yeah. But then you've got someone like Dennis just sitting there stalking. Mm-mm. How much time will he pull? Yeah, well, it's a, I think it's a 20-kilometre time trial, and we know that after last year's tour, Dennis can ride a time trial at 56 kilometres an hour average speed. So uh, I, don't, I don't really get how you can average that fast. I mean, I... <laughs> I mean, I get it on a downhill, but I just don't, you know, if you just sort of think, try and think how fast you have to go to average 56, it's pretty crazy. It is. Because most of the time you actually have to, because of corners, you have to be doing over 60 <laughs> by yourself. So, no, I, I think he's, uh, I won't say he's got it in the bag, but he's, he, it's his race to win. Uh, um, Dennis. Yes, yeah. yeah. But when you listed that, with respect to the riders, I know it sounds disrespectful, but it really is the B. The, the B team. B, yeah. It's a battle of the B team. Yeah, yeah. Riders who may become A team riders. I mean, Sagan is, a, you know, a class A rider, but he's he's up against, you know, you look at the guys he's up against, uh, you know, the tour contenders are not really there you, uh, Talansky aside, and you know Talansky hasn't really finished in the. I think he's done top ten at the tour, but yep. nothing more than that. Yeah, uh, looking at that quality, I mean, you know, you look at uh, you're really looking at two veterans, mm-hmm. um, you know, Zabeldia and, uh, and 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 Sanchez, mm. but neither one of them can particularly you know do humongous time trials. Yeah. Um, Talansky himself, I don't think he's really shown that he can do phenomenal time trials, not in a, not in the level of Dennis. So. Um, there may be one or two other riders at the back, uh, further down the GC, who have that capability, but it'll be in isolation because they're so far behind. It's not really going to matter very much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be pretty easy for uh, for Dennis to put a minute into the majority of the field, you know, on a day like uh, on that time trial that's coming up. Um, any other talking points uh, coming out of Amgen Tour California other than uh, Sagan's hair? <laughs> it's <laughs> getting it's hair. getting longer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. <laughs> it's magnificent. Yeah, I know it's a it's a mane, isn't it? Right. So like, it's starting. I mean, he doesn't have a head shape like a horse, but it's kind of that. You, you almost feel, yeah. How does it stay so uh, flowing and golden? Yeah. yeah. How, how does he keep the volume when he's got a helmet on for? He uses the hipster man bun, I believe. Is he? He's, he's a man bun guy, is he? Oh yeah. He do you mean he ties he it? In yeah, he's he's, he's right. it's mm. gone got long enough now where mm. he can tie it. Otherwise, you get wings. You know when your hair comes out your helmet yeah. and flaps. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen him do that. He's a classy guy. He may, I wonder if he's, he's he's just heading over to the uh, Giant Alperson team bus to get some of that shampoo and <laughs> and hair care products and. Well, someone was you know. asking you on our. <laughs> on our Facebook, if Kittle's still using the, the Giant Alphazine <laughs> products now that he's riding for Etics Quickstep. Still, well, his hair still looks good. Mm. Uh, he's not know, a stand-out uh, performer anymore. He's got competition. That's right. I mean, you must admit, I mean, these days, you know, the young guys, they seem to have really lifted their hair game, mm. at least. How about, I mean, Daniel Oss? Yeah. When that's when he's got a helmet on, it looks good. <laughs> I think it looks better when he's got the helmet on because <laughs> it covers up. 
part of his face, but the hair looks awesome. And because when he's got it off, it looks like, oh, what's that clown who keeps stepping on the rake in The Simpsons? Sideshow uh, um, oh, side side Bob. Oh. <laughs> yeah, looks like that. It's so funny because we're seeing in the men's peloton hair's becoming really important and looks are becoming really important. Mm. And then on the flip side, we've got SBS Seller with women's sport and we're finally getting all these images of women with no makeup and looking pretty crusty. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This interesting kind of turnaround that's happening in sport media. That's that's actually an interesting point. You're right. It's almost as if, um, yeah, we're, we're, you know, busting through stereotypes in a way where the men have really become very appearance oriented. I wonder how much of that is is Kittle himself. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's kind of pulled everyone up, you know, to look to the, that whole top gun kind of thing and, you know, I mean, where the women want the women want to want to show that they're athletes. Yeah, so that they're going to discard the lipstick and 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 everything else and just race. Yeah, but it's also I mean, look out on the street, you know. I don't think Kittle started it. <laughs> he's part of it, a bigger. It's a generational thing. Yeah. You know? I think it sort of gets back to a little bit what Kath said earlier about uh, Sagan. I, I think, you know, as a role model or whatever type of model he is, you know, he's he's setting an example because he is the highest profile guy in men's cycling or one, one of the top three anyway. And so when people see the public attention he gets, the other riders, they go, well, Geez, I wouldn't mind a piece of that. So, I mean, look, it's, let's be honest. There's been a, there is a certain amount of vanity in cycling. It's gone back to you know Uncatil and Copy and stuff like that. They used to keep a comb in their back pocket, you know. So, um, and ride you know uh, three hundred kilometers stages with brill cream in there. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't know where I'm going with this, but you know, it's it's kind of that celebrity culture infiltrating professional cycling. And I think um, I know last year there was this big thing in women's cycling with the Australian team doing this, another selection camp that was really tough. And Chloe Hosking wrote a blog saying she doesn't fit the mould and yet she still achieved, you know, really big things in the global global cycling scene. Um, And I think what Sagan's showing is he doesn't fit this really conservative train, train, train mould in mm. cycling either. And I think I think that's exciting for people following the sport and wanting to emulate it. You, you can go and have fun. You can play golf or go surfing or go mountain biking, mm. grow your hair. It's, you know, it's not going to cost you the win. Yeah, yeah. I guess it. I mean, he's, he, he's sort of a law unto his own. He can do what he wants because he's as good as he is. I think the other guys can't do that, you know. they. Although I think I heard somewhere... Um, Ivan Rovny was wasn't selected to a race. He was about to go to the Volta last year, and his sport director found him drunk at yes, the airport. Or that's something right. Like yeah, that. he'd had a few drinks, and oh. and they sent yeah. him home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that. No. Sagan probably could. <laughs> yeah, Sagan had to be drunk, and he could still <laughs> win. He probably was drunk before he started Cali. He just knew I could win, whether I'm inebriated or not. Yeah. yeah. Imagine, so. imagine going into one of those sprints with. Alcohol reflexes. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Disaster. His sprints anyway, his two sprints, because, I mean, we, we're going to talk about him because we're mm. still we're still not quite sure what's going to happen with A2C. And, and, you know, Sagan, he is the focal point of this race, whether anyone likes it or not. Um, I mean, the ease with which he's taken these two sprints is just ridiculous. I mean, he's just been doing this now. He seems to have really, 
even in the in the, in the classics races where he did where all the competition was, mm. he still seemed to really back himself. So that's that's a big difference, I think, compared to last year. Now he's definitely going to the front. He's saying, "Yes, you're going to have to beat me." Mm. Right? Even even at the ATOC, that looks like that's a strategy for him. Isn't that interesting? Because so. there was a an, a quote from Adam Hansen the other day saying Andre Greipel wasn't backing himself in the in the first stages of the Giro, and it's that psychological game is such a big part of. Of winning, and yeah. to, to see what Sagan could do when he wasn't king confidence, and then to see you know on top of that what he can do once he's got the rainbow jersey and once he's I got was those surprised uh, Greipel said what he did actually even after he won the first stage of the Giro he said that Kittel was on another level. He's, <laughs> Every rider said that. Yeah, uh, they all. It's almost. I guess. That's what do you do? What else do you say though when someone wins two sprints in four days by meters? Yeah, it it was it looked comical almost. You know, it looked like the other guys, as fast as they are, weren't trying. And then when you see when Kittel, a guy like Marcel Kittel, is removed from the equation, then you then you see how fast Greipel is. I mean, he won his sprint by a long way as well, the first sprint. So it makes me think, geez. Then, then it gives you an idea of just how fast Marcel Kittel is. is yeah, actually, that, that that's a good uh, good little segue. Now we're back to the Giro again. So, um, <laughs> into tonight's stage, which has really got more of a sprinter's profile tonight. And now that Kittel's out of the stage, out of the race, uh, I guess everyone is going to be looking at uh, at Greipel, isn't he? You know, I mean, what do we got? Who we got next? Behind that, we, our interest point is going to be. Caleb Ewan. Mm, well, so to see how all Caleb the Australians does. want to see. Yeah, you know, I'd love to see what the other countries are saying. <laughs> but so far, right, looking at mm. looking at Ewan's performance, he's lined up in a, in, a, in a couple of stages, looking pretty good. But the other teams just basically run right over him. Mm. But he's yeah. creeping up. You know, his results are. He's learning. He's learning fast, and he's improving. I'm glad he actually got a shot to sprint. Did you see that one? Yeah. That stage where Mezek managed yep. to get him there it was came out of nowhere he did he had a pretty good run then and it showed he doesn't have that I, I, I'm still um, doubtful whether he's actually in that pure sprinter mold uh, because after watching him on the I know it's the national championships in Buningong but you know he, he he did very well around that course uh, a couple of years ago and I'm just not sh- you look at the size of the guys who done particularly well over time like uh Cipollini, Pataki, Zabul, Kittel, now Greipel, they they're all quite big, big. guys and um, but then also the, the OGE they really threw him the deep end by giving him you know Mezik hasn't really been able to lead him other than that day really lead him out he's just trying to put him in position and for a guy riding only his second Grand Tour to having to fight for that position to to be in a um, spot where he can launch a sprint, I think is extremely difficult. Maybe, I, I know, it's a pretty harsh learning curve. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's a thing for all Australian riders. They, you reach a point domestically where you have to go overseas to get that next level of experience and just that extra level of mayhem mm. and that's you know different from just raw power yeah to win the sprint no it's it's good that matt white the head sports director like caleb actually you know hit matt white up 
at the end of last year. He goes, well, I've just won a Volta stage. You're going to send me to the tour? And Whitey said, no, no, it's too early for you, mate. You know, I think in hindsight now it shows you what a good decision that was not to throw him in there because clearly he's not at that level yet. I mean, that that would be kind of soul-destroying if he, if he went to the tour. Yeah. But that's uh, if you are going to stay up to watch tonight, right? That's going to be something to watch for is uh, is to look and see you know, how Caleb's going to do against uh, the Lotto Sudol uh, sprint train and the other sprint trains. I mean, we've got guys like uh, Cabrelli, etc. Mm. So there, there are guys out there who may be regarded as second tier sprinters, but who still have good teams who can lead them out. So it's always interesting to see how see how that Orca Green Edge lead out is developing uh, to deliver mm. Caleb Ewan where he needs to be. So. Um, well, especially now that their team, it's not just about stage wins anymore yeah. and sprint. You know, yeah. it, they're, they're building a team that's also strong in the mountains and, and that takes away from that lead-out train. Yeah. I think if Caleb was on the team a few years ago when they first started, when they absolutely first started. When Caleb uh, was about four years old. When he was old. about four years old, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he would have been in a better position because there were more opportunities for riders like him in the early days of OG before they transitioned into this uh, into this kind of GC thing that they want to do with um, with Chavez and and other riders, so it'll be interesting. But anyway, that's why you want to watch tonight's stage with the Giro Italia, just to see how Caleb's going to do because we love him to death. We think he's great. So now, one other topic I want to talk about, which we alluded to earlier, is about uh, goals for riders during the course of the year. Um, there's a big goal for many many riders, uh, Vincenzo Nimoli among them, uh, which is the Olympic Games. I've got a a small problem. Just with, a small one. Just a small problem. Not a, not a major problem, but a small problem. <laughs> because what we're seeing is we're seeing riders recalibrate the entire cycling season uh, and teams recalibrate the, the entire cycling season to accommodate the fact that the Olympic Games are going to be on at the time of the year that it usually is on every four years. And I'm seeing... What I'm what I'm seeing is is that's at a detriment to the to the rest of the cycling season, where we're having decisions on 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 teams uh, racing and selections that affect the great races that we have in the sport. Do you agree with that? I I think it's just part and parcel feel of the calendar. I mean, it only happens once every four years. I do like. I guess, um, yeah, sort of uh, listening to Matt Keenan, he said he loves the World Championships because it's the only, you know, you don't really back a team so much because the teams keep changing so often. So you don't really develop any loyalty to the team, unlike football slash soccer. But um, the thing is, uh, but you do develop loyalty towards a team from say Australia or whatever. So in in that respect, you know, it's other than the world championships, but it, it does feel like a a really a really full calendar, doesn't it? Um, you know, you've got the world how that how do they fit the world to the world championships, the Olympic Games, uh, in in that back end of the season. Uh, it it probably I, I get what you, where you're coming from because it means that you're not going to get the best riders or the riders who do show up, like Jack Bobridge, for example. He's going for the team pursuit, isn't he, at the Olympics? And so he's 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 you see him more often at the back than the front of yes. the Giro peloton. Yeah, and you see riders, you know, making these decisions about uh, about how how deep they want to they want to mm. stay in a race. So Grand Tour, for example. So you have riders with certain goals, and they 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 don't want to 
you know, cashing all their chips too early in the season. So you've got a Grand Tour like the Giro, and we've got riders already thinking about pulling out at the Giro, thinking about what's going to be happening during the, during the Olympic yeah, Games, and making decisions on what they're going to do in the Vuelta for, the, for exactly the same reason. So what you're going to end up with is you have the Vuelta, and then you get, say, the last week of the Vuelta, and, and, and this, the, the field is decimated because you've got all, all these great climbers who want to focus on the Rio course this year because the Rio course suits great climbers. Mm. So, I mean, that, 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 that to me, it, it just really takes away from some of the great races that we have in cycling when we know that the Olympics really offers and bear with me when I say this, a second-rate field compared to the, the events that we normally run in cycling on a regular basis. Just to compare it to mountain biking, you know, in Australia we get one female to race in a field of 30 women in the Olympic. There's only one race. It's not like something where you have lots of races. You have one female in one race in this tiny little field. And we get really upset about the reduced chances for us for that. I mean, you get up to three men depending on your country ranking, but the Swiss... Men make up something like eight of the top ten mountain bikers in, in the, the world. world. And they're sending three. They're only allowed three because of Olympic regulations. And, and it's like 50 people in a race and so 200. Like it's such a, a completely different version of the sport to you, the regular version of the sport. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think it should go back to being a only amateurs only allowed field? Because <laughs> what was it? Uh, when did they start allowing pros? I think it was Atlanta in 96. So... But what but is an what is an amateur athlete today? Is there any any such thing? Does that, that does that exist? I mean, the top under twenty threes are virtual pros, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, the guy who won the Italian who won uh, two nights ago, uh, Ciccone, mm, You know, mm, he's twenty one years old. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't even know if that would. Well, well, this is what this is what fo the football does, right? So football restricts um, uh, the, the selections for team for nations to under twenty three uh, players. They're, they're younger players. They're not uh, they're not uh, top tier. Wow. Right. So you know they they don't want to give away their best athletes to the Olympic Games because they see the World Cup as being the the, 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 the premier event. That's the mm. question, that's what, isn't it? Because yeah. the Olympics for a lot of athletes, especially in cycling, is seen as the pinnacle. Yeah. So is it the pinnacle? But it isn't. Not in my opinion. <laughs> you heard it here first. Do you agree? Yell at me on Twitter. Philip <laughs> underscore Gomes. <laughs> but, like, I mean, the other thing people were yelling about on Facebook is is Kittles left the tour after a week with a bag full of jerseys, which, you know, it's not a new thing for a sprinter to do that. <laughs> Mario Cipollini. <laughs> He's the obvious one. But, you know, he cites the Olympic Games and a long season as the reason for, for pacing himself through the season and... And on one hand, I respect that. But then on the other hand, fans of the sport are saying, well, mm. should he be allowed to keep those jerseys if his plan was never to stay in the race? And I think that's where we start to get a bit disenchanted instead yeah. of... And, so, and, that's, and that's what's leading to me, leading mm. me to, to, to express this at the moment. So Yeah, I think, well, it's a, if it's a case of not having him there or having him there for five days or a week or whatever and going home, the Giro organisers know, I know what the Giro organisers would do. They'd, they'd have him, they'd have all these guys there even if they said well, we're staying four days. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's too, commercially it's too important. Uh, but the fans, Tanny. <laughs> <laughs> the fans want them there even if it's for, just for a couple of days. They they want to, you know, it's, it's a matter of, even in that opening, because after the opening week, people then turn their attention to the GC battle. 
And so it's all it's almost forgot, okay, Gripel wins another third stage, but it's not really, you know, it's like this unfolding story and it's, it becomes less about the sprinters, even though there are a few sprint stages and more about the GC battle. Um, well, we're, gonna, we're getting close to wrapping this up. Uh, with both races, Kath, right, since you're so finely attuned to what's happening. <laughs> In the mornings. <laughs> yeah, while you're bleary-eyed. Um, any, anything we should look for for the remaining, uh, remaining stages in the Giro and also uh, the finish up at the ATOC on Sunday? Oh, I, I just want to see a whole bunch of people leave it all out there on a climb. You know, just like good, honest racing up a hill. I think that's what I'm looking forward to. Got any got any favorites? No. Any guys you want to see show? No, that's no. I just it. I just want to I just want to see what happens. I think I I just tend to get excited by the nisness. Just explosions. Yeah, I want to see explosions. I want to see honesty. I want to see tactics go out the window as someone rides by the heart of their sleeve. Yeah. Yeah, Bob Jungle's take 15 minutes on a I don't know on a mountaintop finish or something like that that would be quite extraordinary and, and this can happen because this has happened in the Giro where you've had crazy splits long breakaways that they you know the, the the peloton's asleep and a breakaway gets away and the next thing you know the whole race is turned upside down um for me personally I mean I'd love to see somebody like Youngles just kind of hang in there be cool. right and just throw that spanner in a wrench and all of a sudden he's racing out of his skin Mm. So well, it reminds me of a young Contador, you know, when yeah. when he was suddenly wearing a leader's jersey in the tour, and that time trial that he rode when he was in the lead, and he wiggled all over the bike like you wouldn't believe, but it was all heart, and he held it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is the uh, one of the few races where I'm truly excited, and it just it almost I forget that you know you don't have the three best stage races in the world in. Froome, uh, Contador, some, someone else I can't think well, of. There's even, you know, even other guys like Richie Port, yeah. and, uh, TJ Van Garderen, et cetera. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a great final week. Now, before we go, here's a reminder of what we're doing for the Giro d'Italia and the ATOC for the rest of, uh, before we, uh, to, the, to the end of both races. Uh, yes, it's still all live on your TV every night from approximately 11 p.m. on SBS, and check your local guys for that. And of course, we have daily highlights on uh, SBS, also again on SBS from 5 p.m. Uh, the race is going to be available on your mobile device of choice, as usual, through the uh, Tour Tracker. Uh, which is powered by Latap Australia. Uh, so head to your Apple or Google stores to download that. And the Amgen Tour of California, the Amgen Tour of California is live on SBS2 each morning to its conclusion next Monday. Um, and that's li- streaming through the website. There's no app for that, but uh, it's on the website, so you'll be able to watch it online as well. And that's pretty well it from us. And we'll see you next time to wrap it all up.